This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where Elsa has moved on, and it's time to clean up. There are reports of flooded roads and trees down. Don't drive your vehicle into standing water. As little as 12 inches of fast-moving water can carry away a small vehicle. Uh, Be aware of fallen or hanging power lines. Don't approach or touch the power line. If you plan to post any pictures of the damage on social media, the state emergency management director says go ahead and tag him. They may be able to use those pictures when filing a claim with the feds. As the search continues in the rubble of the Champlain Towers south in Surfside, the governor's refusing to say whether the state should do anything to encourage more inspections of aging condo towers. Those buildings are kind of a dime a dozen, particularly in southern Florida. You drive by, you don't even think twice when you're, when you're, when you're driving by some of these high-rises. The tower may have been 40 years old, but Ron DeSantis says it had problems from the start. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is calling on the state's highest court to hear an appeal over Florida's law that preempts the authority of city and county commissioners to pass gun laws and threatens big fines, even removal from office for any official who dares to try. Last year was the deadliest year for gun violence in two decades. And 2021 so far is worse. Right now, it is the number one cause of death, the number one cause of suicide, and it is up 34 percent in the last 20 years. Freed was joined by a host of local officials from South Florida who say the preemption law is a violation of their First Amendment rights and prevents them from protecting their own people. A South Florida lawmaker holds a workshop on community violence. Representative Kevin Chambliss says they're looking for solutions. This is something that has plagued um, many communities for decades. It's not a new issue. We also know that after coming out of a pandemic, like a, a situation like never before, that in certain communities, we actually saw an uptick in the rate of violence, specifically here in South Miami-Dade. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man who found a million dollars while he was cleaning his house. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, July 8th. This is National Chocolate and Almonds Day and National Video Game Day. On this date in 1988, the Miami Arena opened. The $52 million building was originally the home for the Miami Heat and the Florida Panthers, but it was too small. Both teams moved out within 10 years. It was demolished in 2008. In 1999, Florida death row inmate Alan Lee Davis was executed in Old Sparky. It was the last use of the electric chair for capital punishment in Florida. We now use lethal injection, although inmates can still choose the chair if they prefer. In 2011, Shuttle Atlantis was launched from Cape Canaveral in the final mission of the U.S. Space Shuttle program. And one year ago today, the Trump administration issued a directive to strip more than a million international students of their visas if they took all of their college courses online. Well, so much for Elsa. Governor Ron DeSantis says damages were minor, but there's still a certain amount of danger. There are reports of flooded roads and trees down. Don't drive your vehicle into standing water. As little as 12 inches of fast-moving water can carry away a small vehicle. Uh, Be aware of fallen or hanging power lines. Don't approach or touch the power line. Uh, Report down power lines to your electrical company as soon as you can. If your home is taken in water, don't use wet electrical devices. And if you've lost power, uh, do not use generators inside your home or inside your garage and do not put it immediately by a window with the window being open. Carbon monoxide poisoning can be life-threatening, and there have been more 
deaths from carbon monoxide poisoning over the last four years than there have been for direct impacts in storms in Florida. And we've had some significant storms hit our state. Uh, so listen to local officials in your county health department on the safety of water supply. In the event of power outages, bottled or boiled water can be used for drinking, cooking, and personal hygiene. Uh, I ask Floridians to simply be safe and use common sense. All things considered, where we looked at 72 hours ago, I think the impacts have been less than, than what we thought would be reasonable. So we're fortunate we saw a little bit of a wobble to the west uh, when it was approaching Tampa Bay, uh, which potentially minimized impacts there. We're going to be monitoring over the next uh, few days uh, how that affects the river levels and some of the potential for flooding. Northern Florida has been very saturated over the last couple weeks, so this is going to dump a lot of rain on there and is going to exacerbate uh, any of those issues. As the recovery begins, State Emergency Management Director Kevin Guthrie says you need to stay safe. He'd also like you to send him pictures of the damage. As you begin to see damage from Tropical Storm Elsa, I want to emphasize the importance of documenting that damage in your communities. The division works very closely with FEMA. In fact, FEMA is here in our building on post-landfall uh, operations to conduct damage assessments and ensure that all damage is properly submitted and documented. The best way to capture this damage is via photographs. This includes taking pictures of debris, high water lines, and property damage. You can assist in this effort by taking photos of the storm damage now. This will also help you ensure that any insurance claims you may need to submit once the storm passes will be obviously valid and help speed up that process. Accurate and comprehensive documentation of damage can help the state secure federal recovery funding. So as you begin to do your own damage assessments, please take pictures of your homes, the surrounding areas, and other areas in your communities. If you choose to upload photos of the damage through social media, please remember to tag the division so we can add it to our damage documentation as well. The division is at FLCERT, that's at FLCERT, on Facebook and Twitter. We'll use these damaged photos, as I've already said, to work with FEMA. Please stay safe and please follow all safety advice given by the governor, the division, and your local emergency manager, uh, local emergency managers. The bottom line is that Florida dodged a bullet, but don't get too cocky. Governor DeSantis says there's more to come later in the season. We, we don't see any tropical activity right now in the in kind of the two-week horizon. But I would just uh, you know, caution people, this, this part of the year is really not the, not the major leagues for, for tropical cyclone activity. I mean, as we get into the middle, middle of August, September, early October, uh, the vast, vast majority of significant activity occurs during those time periods. Obviously, you can get it June, July, you can get it even in November. Um, but this was uh, something I think that, that, that we've been able to handle fine. Uh, but there is going to be more activity. I mean, we don't have anything on the horizon, but just people just need to be prepared. And uh, as these storms come, uh, we're going to have to deal with them. The collapse of the Champlain Towers South in Surfside has prompted officials in Miami-Dade to begin a review of other aging buildings in coastal communities. But Governor DeSantis is not committing to any sort of state action that would require updated inspections of older condos. Those buildings are kind of a dime a dozen, particularly in southern Florida. You drive by, you don't even think twice when you're, when you're, when you're driving by some of these high rises. We, we obviously, we want to be able to identify why did this happen? Is this something that was unique to this building? Is it something that was unique to the person that maybe developed it? Because obviously there are sister properties. 
Is it something that buildings of that age that would have implications beyond that, whether southern Florida or the entire state of Florida? I think we need to get those definitive answers. Um, I, I can just say, just having talked with people who've been on the scene, people who've done stuff, uh, I think that uh, I think this building had problems from the start. Let's just put it that way. And so, um, so, so we'll see. I and mean, we need to do that. But. Um, so I wouldn't jump to conclusions about it. But at the same time, if there is something identified that would have implications broader than, than Champlain Towers, then, then obviously we're going to, um, you know, we're going to take that and, and act as appropriate. Miami-Dade and Broward are the only Florida counties that require aging high-rises to go through a reinspection after they reach 40 years of age. Champlain Tower South was going through its recertification process when it collapsed. Local leaders in South Florida are joining the state agriculture commissioner in a verbal appeal to the Florida Supreme Court. They're asking the justices to hear an appeal of a state law that punishes city or county officials who try to address gun violence. Commissioner Nikki Freed, who is running for governor, says the idea that local officials can be removed from office for considering any sort of common sense gun regulations is absurd, un-American, and deadly. Last year was the deadliest year for gun violence in two decades and 2021 so far is worse. Right now, it is the number one cause of death, the number one cause of suicide, and it is up 34% in the last 20 years. This is a public health crisis. Our communities deserve local safety solutions. Instead, what are we getting out of Tallahassee? Huge fines, removal from office, and government overreach from the capital of Tallahassee. This is the nation's most extreme penalties and was found unconstitutional by the lower courts. And we here today still believe that that is the case. So I am asking the Florida Supreme Court to hear this case and to let our mayors and our county commissioners and our city commissioners do the job that they were elected to do. And that is to protect and defend the people of their communities. We've got to do more, and we are asking the Supreme Court to step up and protect the people of our state. State Representative Dan Daly is a graduate of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, the site of the Parkland Massacre, and he says the state law preempting local gun ordinances is wrong in so many ways. The legislature was wrong to pass the original preemption in the 1980s. The legislature was wrong to pass the draconian Matt Gates penalty provisions in 2011. And just when you thought the law couldn't work, get worse, they managed to find a way to do that just this last legislative session. There is no preemption like this in state law, and it's one of the most egregious and I believe dangerous laws on the books in this state and any state for that matter. This is a matter of great public importance and one that the Supreme Court should take up immediately. There are few issues which impact the daily lives of Floridians right now more than the scourge of gun violence. To the justices of the Florida Supreme Court, do it for the 49 victims of the Pulse shooting. Do it for the 17 victims of the shooting at my alma mater, Stoneman Douglas. And do it for the hundreds of men, women, and children who are gunned down in the streets across Florida every week. Too many to name. You have the opportunity to right one of the biggest wrongs of the last 40 years. Please do so, because there are lives depending on it. Nancy Fry, with the group called Mothers Demand Gun Sense, says conservatives in the state legislature have gone too far and are more interested in protecting guns than protecting people. It's wrong when a city commissioner cannot stop a gun show from being held next to a playground. 
It's wrong when a city council member has been warned by their attorney that they shouldn't sign a non-binding resolution against arming our school teachers. It's wrong that guns are the second leading cause of death in Florida for children. And it's wrong when our legislature, rather than trying to reduce the over 2,700 gun deaths annually in Florida, spend their time fighting to bring more guns into our schools, into our houses of worship, and into every other place that they don't belong. We know that the purpose of this preemption as it stands isn't to protect people from unconstitutional overreach because there's already a remedy for that, the courts. This statute is written so harshly that it is meant to stop those commissioners and council members that dare try to fight back for their communities, to make them personally liable so that we don't, we don't even get to debate this in the courtroom because the people actively fighting against our safety know that reasonable common sense regulations on firearms are not only vastly popular ideas, but they're supported by case law. As we emerge from the COVID crisis, there's been a rise in violence in many Florida communities. State Representative Kevin Chambliss of Miami-Dade wants to know why it's happening and if there's anything the legislature can do about it. So he hosted a community violence workshop in hopes of finding some answers. We're talking today about community violence. Uh, We know uh, that this is something that has plagued Uh, many communities for decades. It's not a new issue. We also know that after coming out of a pandemic, like a a situation like never before, that in certain communities, we actually saw an uptick in the rate of violence, specifically here in South Miami-Dade. And so the goal here is to begin to engage with the community and to listen to them and their stories and the issues, the problems and the things that led to the community violence, as well as the problems that stem from community violence, so that we can begin to use that information, then begin to work with law enforcement and state agencies and ask ourselves, is there anything that we can do? What are the legislative steps that might be taken to address these specific problems? This is not going to be an overnight task, right? Like this is going to be a thorough continuous conversation uh, when it comes to addressing uh, these particular issues, uh, because there is no overnight solution. There's no magic wand. Um, It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take commitment um, from um, all members in all sectors of the community to make sure that we eventually bring in it uh, to community violence and make our community safer for the future of our children. State Representative Fentrice Driscoll of Tampa says people in her community are fed up with gun violence and are looking for help. As I listen to people from around the state, what they're experiencing, as I read about what's happening in Chicago and Milwaukee, I think what we can find is that there are probably some common threads throughout all of this. Um, one of which is that Our communities are fed up. (laughs) We're tired of this. We're tired of of seeing innocent men and women die in the streets. I think we're tired of uh, not seeing the responsiveness maybe that we're hoping for or the support always uh, for government. Um, We're tired of programs that are sometimes well-intentioned, but that perhaps don't don't work so well. And so I think what we are needing and are hungry for now is having that um, that sweet spot intersection where it's not just government, it's not just community led, um, it's all of the above. It's the business community as well. It's you know education because it impacts our schools. So what can we do to approach this in a multidisciplinary way that includes all the voices and that includes all the people who need to be at the table? 
One of the people at that table is Romania Dukes, the founder of Mothers Fighting for Justice. It's a support group for mothers in South Miami-Dade who, like her, have lost a child to gun violence. We all living in trauma. I'm living in trauma. And some of these kids have PTSD and don't even know it. You know, when they hear shooting, you know, back in the days, the kids would, you know, fall to the ground or catch out running. Now it's, they, it done came normal to them and to the community. Everything normal. You just hear a gunshot. You just continue to walk on your very way. And, it, and it's sad. And not only is my kids getting affected, our seniors as well. We have seniors that's being affected by gun violence every day. They can't even get in their medical vans. They can't even go to the store that sit right in the back of their units. They can't even sit on the porch. They can't even make it to their laundry room uh, without hearing gun violence or hearing bullets fly across their roof. And that's sad. But don't expect much in the way of help from Tallahassee. Dr. Nancy Lothar with Florida PTA says they cannot count on state government to do a thing about gun violence. Government has been defunded, hollowed out, and not given the tools that it needs to actually take care of problems. There have been many efforts in the past, and I've tracked um, legislation since 2011 with respect to firearms. Some of this is legislation uh, that may indeed be proposed at the federal level, closing the background check loophole, for example, at gun shows, or the question of not being able to sell certain types of ammunition, certain types of firearms, uh, or accessories to firearms. But in Florida, much of that legislation has not been successful. The only exception was when the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Act was passed, and then the age was raised for possession of certain types of firearms from 18 to 21. But by and large, any attempt in Florida other than in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Act since 2011, at least, has faced obstacles and will continue to face obstacles. One of the few things lawmakers did after the massacre at Parkland was to pass a law that prohibits the sale of shotguns, rifles, and other long guns to anyone under the age of 21. The NRA has just filed an appeal in federal court where they are trying to get that law overturned. Your calendar of events, the Florida Board of Massage Therapy meets in Panama City Beach at 9. The Public Service Commission meets at 9.30 to take up a series of issues, including a request from Duke Energy Florida to start recouping almost $17 million from customers for last year's expenses responding to two tropical storms. The Florida Transportation Commission meets by conference call at 10. The Florida Supreme Court issues decisions at 11. Congressman Byron Donald speaks at the Tiger Bay Club of Southwest Florida. That's noon in Fort Myers. The board of the Northwest Florida Water Management District meets at 1 in Havana. And Congressman Brian Mast is holding a fundraiser at 5.30 in Jupiter. A Florida man who used to work as a cop is sentenced to 10 years in prison. Prosecutors say Michael Martinez was working for the Miccosukee Police Department, patrolling the Everglades when he stopped a car with a teenage couple inside. He found alcohol and marijuana in the vehicle and offered the 18-year-olds a choice. Arrest in jail? or strip and run naked in front of him. They took the deal. He also asked the woman for a hand job. Martinez was convicted of two counts of extortion and two counts of unlawful compensation. 
Finally today, a Florida man who was cleaning his house found a million bucks. 54-year-old Kenneth Morgan of Jacksonville bought a quick-pick ticket for Powerball back in April, stashed it in a drawer, and promptly forgot about it. But when he was cleaning up on the 4th of July, he found the winning ticket. Morgan did not pick the correct Powerball number, but his ticket did match all five of the white balls in the drawing, so that was worth a million dollars. And that's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 